glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second Kings chapter 18. We're going to read a number of verses here. We're going to read verses 13 down through verse 37. So follow along if you would. Second Kings 18. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them? And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, uh, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord, and in the treasures of the king's house. And at that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshaki from Lachish to king Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem and when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speaking out to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust on him. But if ye say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away? And hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now therefore I pray thee, give pledges to my lord the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants, and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, and Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. And talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy, my, thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, that they may, drink, eat, may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of bread, and 
uh, and of honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, saying, Answer him not. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder to Hezekiah, with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. That's all we'll read for now. Thank you. you. may be seated. As I read through this text, there are multiple messages that could be preached. So I'm going to, with the Lord's help, try to stay on point this morning. But what you hear in the tone of this text is, I believe, the spiritual tone we live in today. Uh, you have two conflicting um, voices, if you would, in, in the heart and mind of every child of God. You have the voice of your flesh, your old nature that is there. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that the spirit and the flesh are contrary one to another, that they are in war with one another. One wars against the other, that fleshly lusts war against our soul. And the, the, the flesh says, follow your lust. If it brings you pleasure in your body, then follow that. If it looks pleasing to you, pursue it. And if it makes you look good to somebody else, by all means, do it. There are three basic principles that govern the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's because the God of this world operates on those same principles. Pride originated with Satan, and he has promoted pride and all that goes with it uh, all the way down through the history uh, of the world since the fall of man. And so there's a conflicting in the life and the mind of the Christian just like there was in this chapter. There are two kings talking to God's people. Now, this is the nation of Israel, and because they're God's chosen people, we do not believe that the church replaced Israel, but there are promises that we're grafted into, and there are analogies to be made with how God dealt with Israel and how he deals with us. And as such today, we today, you're not God's people because you're Jew or Gentile, you're God's people if you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then there's an application to us. You have the king of Assyria sending his ambassador, Rabshakeh, to go talk to the men on the wall, the men of Jerusalem, to persuade them to not believe Hezekiah. That's basically what he's there to do. I think I mentioned this text. I've been chewing on this for some weeks now. I mentioned this. I think Dad and I were talking the other day, and I said, you know, if you're big enough to come and conquer the wall, why come and try to talk people into surrendering? Just conquer them. I mean, I say this, if Satan knew he had you defeated today, why would he argue with you? Just run your life. If you're saved this morning, the reason there's a conflict inside of you is because Satan, your adversary, and the world knows that you have the victory if you will have the victory. There's a battle in the mind because that's the only way Satan can defeat you to get you to believe his lies instead of believing God's truth. And therein is our application this morning. Hezekiah, as we'll see later in 2 Chronicles, had already instructed the people how to respond to the enemy. They had already taken counsel. They had already made some fortifications. In the beginning of this chapter, Hezekiah erred. I believe that with all my heart. He erred. He, and we'll see that in a moment. But I just want to set the tone that there is a tremendous application for us as God's people today. How many of us have seen the institutions in our country overtaken institution at a time by evil people with evil agendas? 
And you call that, you want to label that however you want to. The religion behind it is humanism, which is really Satanism. He's the author of humanism. Uh, Karl Marx was not the author of humanism. Humanism is a doctrine of the devil. And it's promoted by men, but it's a doctrine of the devil. How many of us have seen humanism overtake our, our institutions of education? There is no doubt in anyone's mind that humanism is the doctrine of the public school system, of the college systems in America. That's the doctrine that is being promoted. How many of us have seen it take over the halls of government? And we've seen it intrude upon and take over the culture. I mean, that's honestly, it's why you see the confusion about gender and all of these things is because the enemy has had great success in society. The king of Assyria had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. He had conquered all the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. And he said, and now this is where the temple of God is in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to conquer the place where God dwells and I'm going to rule there. And that is, I understand the church is not a building today. It's us, God's people. But that's what our foe is saying today. I've conquered the halls of education. I have conquered the political halls. I have conquered the mindset of the, of the community so that you watch, you watch the values of God's word falling by the wayside. And now he's knocking on the doors of our churches and on the minds of believers saying, and you are next. Next thing you know, sodomy will be in your church. Next thing you know, anything goes and I will take you down just like I've taken other, every other institution down. And you and I've got to decide who we're going to believe. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell say, Jesus lied, don't believe him. We have two kings talking to us today. The king of kings and lord of lords saying, I am in charge, and we're going to win. We've already won. And the god of this world saying, oh no, you're a defeated foe. What do we do? And we face, How many of us agree our foe is a formidable foe? If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word fear there, if you look up the underlying meaning behind that, it, it carries the idea of intimidation. God does not want us to be an intimidated people. And yet, I believe what we see, what, the reason I believe, one of the reasons that the news media, and I'm not here preaching a political message, I'm trying to help us as Christians to understand the world we live in. I believe one of the reasons that the media operates the way it does is it is a rabshaki for the God of this world. To come and say, my master, the great king, is going to conquer you. Any father this morning trying to raise children to God for God, you've had rabshaki speak to you telling you, don't you even think you can succeed at obeying the commandments of God to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition. I'm going to win. I'm going to conquer your home. Any pastor that wants to serve God and see a church the way the Lord wants it to be has heard from Rabshaki. Any young person that says, I am actually interested in not wasting my life. I believe the Lord did save me and has a plan for my life, but... The devil says, you're going to be like every other young person. You're going to have to live in sin and yield to your lusts, and you're going to have to decide today who you believe. That's exactly what's going on here. Hezekiah said, trust in God. God will deliver you. Rabshakeh sends his spokesman and said, don't you believe Hezekiah? He told you to trust in the Lord, and he can't deliver you. And this morning, that's the competition taking place in our minds as God's people. So I want to see three things 
out of this text, and with the Lord's help, I want to try to stay on course, give you three simple things, but the text is so loaded. We could, I believe you could preach an entire message, and good, great preachers have about cutting the gold off of the doors of God's house and giving that to the enemy to try to appease him. A lot to be said right there, but let me give you, first of all, the trouble that they had with their foe, and some of this has already been addressed, but if you read Second Kings 18, as we just did, most of the chapter... I don't know about you, but I come out of this saying, I do not like this guy Rabshaki. Somebody needs to grab a sword and go decapitate him. Say, that's bloody and violent. Well, that's what David did to Goliath. And that's just the way I come out feeling, like somebody shut that guy up. Don't you feel that way? He's treating God like he's dead. Same way I feel when I hear naysayers today say, well, the education community has decided that there is no God. You know what they're doing? They're reproaching our God. They're saying everything you believe is a lie. You believe God created you. You believe God sent His Son uh, into this world. True, honestly, you believe that He was actually born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. What a bunch of fairy tales. When you have somebody tells you that you've believed a fairy tale, you know you have somebody serving Satan in front of you. Amen? And but that's the that's the that's the disposition that the world brings to us today. What a joke to believe God. What a joke to believe you actually believe the Bible is infallible. Do you know how many translations have been made? Do you know how many copies there were of copies? There's no way that Bible can be perfect. Where do you get an idea like that? There's a belittling that takes place for the purpose of intimidation. To make us feel like fools, like we've been an idiot to believe God. That's not our job to make them feel like idiots. That's not our role. But I'll say this today. Satan is a chief intimidator, and those who serve him are. And God says, I didn't give you that spirit. I didn't give you the spirit of fear. So let's consider the trouble of the foe. Number one, they initiated the attack. How many of you know, we looked at this last Sunday night. We'll touch on this again tonight. In the battle that Jehoshaphat had to face, it was very similar to this. How many of us know when Rabshakeh was sent by Sennacherib to attack Hezekiah? Anybody know what chronology this was? Hezekiah had just led one of the greatest revivals in the history of Judah. He had restored the Passover. He had restored the temple. He had covered the pillars with gold. The Bible says, and we'll read it a little bit later, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1, after all these things were established, in the 14th year of Hezekiah came Sennacherib. There is something to getting some things established in your soul that Satan assaults and attacks at that time. Some worship had been established for God in Jerusalem. Some things had been settled. We heard some things taught in Sunday school this morning that you know as God's people are true. That's what God has settled some things in your soul, established you in your faith. And then what happens? The enemy says, okay, we cannot let the worship of God be established in the heart of anybody. I must disrupt that. And that's what happened. As Hezekiah got the heart of the people back where it ought to be, reverencing God, submitted to God, loving God, grateful to God, the enemy says, no, 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 this cannot be. I, I have used this word, and some get kind of personal for us as a church. Uh, somewhere along the last two to three years, you can sense a shift when the church became established, when this little church became established in who we are and what we believe. When there was a common denominator about what we believe about salvation, and uh, there was, a, there was a, an establishment of the church as far as the faith upon which we stand. And long after establishment comes attack. And so the, attack, the, the, the trouble with the foe is they decided that we're going to attack uh, Judah and Jerusalem. The Bible says in verse 13, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against 
all the fenced cities of Judah and did what? Took them. Took them. Turn with me. Hold your finger there in 2 Kings 18 so we can make the New Testament application. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, when the Bible says he took them, what does that mean? You've got to understand the Hebrew. It means he took them. Uh, they did not belong to him. He came in and took what did not belong to him through force. He assaulted these cities. What, what heads up did they get? Hey, Sennacherib's going to attack you today. What, what caused this to happen? Did Hezekiah send a message to Sennacherib and say, Hey, look, I think my people need to be tested. Would you come attack us? Do you know when Satan attacks you? Do you know when the world will attack you? Do you know when your flesh will attack you? <laughs> Whenever it wants. Satan walks about, roams about, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's giving Timothy some admonition about how to help people, serve people, minister to people. He says in verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. This is the verse I want you to focus on. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are, what's the next word? Taken captive by him at his will. Satan says, you know what? I want that one. You know what? Sennacherib says, you see those fenced cities? They weren't walled cities. They were fenced. They were not fortified like the city of Jerusalem was. And he said, easy picking. Easy picking. Satan says, there's a young Christian. I want him. There's a young Christian. I want her. And he takes him captive at his will. You know what happened is he captivated, he captured some of God's people. He captured some of God's cities. Now, I believe if we're going to be honest this morning, we know that Satan has done that around our lives. There's some people, whether people we know here or if you know people in other parts of the country, that at one time were freely serving the Lord, but today they are captured in sin. One day Satan assaulted them, attacked them. There are some churches that have been taken. These are facts. I'm not trying to be discouraging this morning. But if we don't consider facts, we can't get the help we need. And so just like Sennacherib said, there are some fenced cities in the outlying areas of Judah that I know I can take. They're not ready. They're unsuspecting, whatever may be the case. And the Bible says that he went and conquered them and captivated them, meaning he took them. There are people who at one time were living their lives based on what God says, but today are living their lives based on what Satan has said. There are people that at one time were in their Bible seeking the Word of God. Today they're not cracking their Bible open, they're pursuing money. There were one time people that were opening their Bible to find the mind of God, sitting under preaching, being in church with God's people, so they could hear what God said. Today they're believing their own imaginations. They've been taken captive. And what happens is Satan does that. Our enemy does that to say, that's them, you're next. Because that's exactly what happened here. And the Bible says, just as he took some cities in Judah at his will, even so does Satan today. He, with his lies, takes people captive at his will. And they get, they get tied up with a lie. I think some of the children heard that in Sunday school this morning. Am I correct? Uh, they get tied with a lie. What will happen when you believe a lie? It will bind you. Then you have to live your entire life defending that lie. You believed a lie. Now you have to promote the lie because you've believed the lie. You have to defend the lie. And that's what Satan does. He's behind getting us to believe things that are counter contradictory to the Word of God. And so he attacked them. The trouble with the foe 
He attacked God's people. Number two, the trouble with the foe is God's people tried to appease him. Go back if you would to 2 Kings 18. Please, let's don't miss this. We've dealt with this in time past. But 2 Kings 18, verse 14, the Bible says, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Help me here this morning. What did Hezekiah do wrong to the king of Assyria? How did he offend him? Then why did he tell him he did? We're, we're being told today, by the world, you've offended us. And many of God's people are saying, yes, we have. We have offended you. By believing that the Bible's true, by insisting that God doesn't lie, by insisting there's only one way to heaven, we understand we've, we've offended people. We've driven people away. Don't say you've offended if you haven't. I believe with all of my heart, if you've offended someone, no one should have to make you. You should go on your own and say, I did you wrong, and I need you to forgive me. But Satan wants to tell you, and the world wants to say you've offended when you've not. The world, the churches of America today have taken on an apologetic tone with the world. We're sorry that we believe what we do. We're sorry that we are so narrow-minded. We are sorry that we stand for God and Him alone. No, 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 we've not offended It's not offensive to say, let God be true and every man a liar, because we didn't say it, God did. It's not offensive to say there's a hell because God said that. It's not offensive to say there's only one way of salvation because God said that. It's not offensive to say if Christ is in you, then Christ should be on you, because God said that. It's not offensive. It's right. It's true. You know what Hezekiah's offense was? He treated God like God and the king of Assyria like another man. And when Satan is treated like someone other than who he is, he wants to be worshipped as God. The spirit of this age is the spirit of Antichrist, which says, I'm going to be God, sitting in the temple of God as though I am God, and he will be one day worshipped as though he's God. One of the things that's wrong in our age, I am so, I want to be so careful. I don't ever want to be a preacher who disobeys God by ever railing on human government. We are to submit and obey. But when a government says, you reverence us as God, that government has gone too far. God is God, and we worship God, and our, our submission to a government is because of our submission to God. My point this morning is, as Sennacherib says, you are giving to God what I want given to me. He saw all the gold in that temple, and he saw all the silver in that temple. Let me tell you something. Satan looks at Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church this morning and sees the talent and the ability and the mental capacity packaged up in some young people and says, I want it. That is precious. I could use that in my agenda. Nothing is more valuable to Satan than a child that's been raised in the house of God who lives for the devil. He uses that and puts them on a pedestal and says, See, see, my message is more persuasive than God's. See, they were raised up hearing the truth, but look, they're not living by the Bible. They're living by the world's principles. They used to believe in creation. Now they believe in evolution. Look what I got me, a trophy. That's what Sennacherib was up to. He says, that temple that's been given for this invisible God, I want that stuff. (laughs) And there are treasures in this room this morning that are not measured in dollars, but measured in usefulness for God's glory. And Satan says, I don't want that. I believe with all my heart, the one thing you and I need to be enamored with today is the glory of the name of our God. We should not sit by and let God be made to look like he's a fool when he is wise. Sit by and make God be look like he is unrighteous when he is not. And it ought to stir our soul to say, God is being made to look wrong and this is not right. Hallowed be his name. 
what happened is Hezekiah, uh, immediately upon the attack and the conquest and captivity of some people in his land, he thought, I tell you what I'll do. I will give Sennacherib some gold and silver. I'll tell him I've offended, though I've not. And I'll give him some things and he'll go away. Did it work? (laughs) You'll never appease. We've went through this before. You'll never appease a lion. You throw a a lion a pack of baloney and he's going to want a lot more. (laughs) You throw a wolf uh, a a piece of roast off of of an elk and he's going to want the rest. Satan's nature says, I'm not satisfied with a little. And what happens is, and please hear me this morning, and and I hope this will resonate. It resonates in my heart and mind. The world is screaming to us, cooperate with us. Cooperate with us. You don't have to give us everything, but... Give us the music. You don't have to give us everything, but give us the Bible issue. By the way, that's everything. You don't have to give us everything, but just give us some of those outward standards. I mean, they don't save you. How many of you think that taking gold off of the pillars of the temple affected the Ark of the Covenant? He didn't peel the gold off the Ark of the Covenant, did he? Well, it didn't matter then, did it? He wasn't giving him anything that was primary, just secondary, some gold off of the doors and some silver off the doors and gold off of the pillars. That shouldn't matter, should it? It's not what he gave him. It's why he gave it. The only person we're to yield to like that is the Lord. <laughs> Amen? And so there was an attack made, and the response to the attack was appeasement. Appeasement. The Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at the lake. He's saying, I have offended. Return from me. Meaning, go away. <laughs> uh, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. Meaning, you name the price, we'll provide it. We don't do that with a, with a lost world. We, we don't do that with the God of this world. We don't do that with our flesh. We don't do that. Uh, but, but we need to learn from this. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So he gave him a price. He said, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah said, I can come up with that without it costing us too much of the glory of God. We'll take the gold off of the pillars and some of that off the doors. We'll pay that to him and we'll be done with it. Problem is, he never the price didn't satisfy. What was the what was the deal that he made here? I give you what you require, and you return from me. You go away. Do, we, do you see that in the text? It's it's like a contract. Here's what I want. I want you to leave us. What do you want? What's your price for you to leave? Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is where I'm telling you what the world says is: Look, you don't you don't have to quit teaching salvation by grace through faith. But let us. Let us have the music. So you'll leave us alone and quit trying to steal our young people, and we can keep our young people if we change our music. You with me? And we give the music over, and he says, you know, I'm actually not going to go away. If you gave me the music, I bet I can get more from you. This should shock us. Satan's a crook. Isn't that shocking? Would it be shocking that he would lie? That he would break his contract? Because that's exactly what happened when you and I make concessions in your personal life. You say, you know... I would never deny that the Bible is true, but maybe if I yielded in this area of my life, that's the only place I'll ever yield. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You give him a mile, he'll take the rest. And so then this morning, there was appeasement made. It was a wrong tactic. And in verses 14 through 16, there was an appointment given. Who is determining how the house of God is going to be used right here? God or Sennacherib? Sennacherib. He says, I want this much money, this much silver, this much gold. The determiner of how 
Hezekiah is going to pay out is not from God. He is, he is now letting a heathen king have influence over his decision-making and telling him what to do. And you and I, we have one Lord, one and one only. And the Bible says in verse 16, At that time Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So the Assyrian king comes in, he captures some, and he says, Okay, you, can, you see what I'm able to do. Now you see what I'm able to do, and I've terrified you. What are you going to do? Hezekiah says, I have obviously offended you. What is your price? I will pay. Just leave me. Return for me. Okay, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah says, the only place I know to get that kind of money is from the house of God. Let's pay him, and he'll go away. How many of you know about the ransom attacks that took place this year, cyber attacks, and large amount, millions of dollars of ransom was paid so we could get our gas pipes flowing again? That was wrong. And here's why. You know who's running the show? The enemy. You, 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 don't, you don't work that way. Because once we do, they say, oh, they're afraid of us. Now we're in charge. And that's what happened. Next thing you see is aggression. So there was an attack made. Appeasement was given. Now the appointment, pay me this much and I'll go away. Then the aggression, verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshaki from Lachish to king Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. Wait a minute. I thought the deal was, I pay you and you return for me. He not only didn't return, he, he doubled down. He said, now that I know I've got you against the ropes, now I'm going to send the forces. Listen, you and I, we, the Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary... Uh, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You and I cannot make concessions with the lies of Satan and expect him to go away. He must be opposed, not appeased. That's point number one, the trouble with the, with the foe. Number two, we've seen the tactics of the foe. For time's sake, I'm going to list these. I think having read the text, we'll, we'll point out a few of these things. I think you'll see these, these tactics are very true inside the text. Number one, the tactic was arrogance. How many times does Rabshakeh refer to the king of Assyria as the great king? The great king. Let me, let me try to break this down practically. What are the biggest churches in America today? The ones holding to the Bible or the ones running away from it? If you know anything about the condition of churches in America... The most thriving, economically thriving, numerically thriving churches in America today are not the ones holding to the truth of God's word, but those that are turning away from it. And you know what Satan says? The great king, the one who doesn't believe the Bible is true, um, tells you you'd need to do the same if you want to succeed. I'm just trying to be very practical this morning how he works. A young person looks at their life and say, you know, I can't do this and I'm not able to do this. I'm held back here. But I have friends that don't. They're not taught what I'm taught, don't believe what I believe, aren't taught to believe what I believe. And man, life is going just wondrous for them. They've they've rejected Bible truth in their life. They've decided to make decisions that are contradictory to the instruction of Scripture. Though they're saved, they've gone a different route. They're really following more the principles of money is great and have a good time and don't just follow the Lord, it's too restrictive. And their lives are going great. They've got great jobs, they've got great stuff, they have great friends, they have a good time. And me, I'm held back. By the way, that's not normally true if we'd be honest in our assessment of our lives, but Satan will push that. You know what comes along is what Satan says is, I'm the great king. Now, he won't tell you perhaps he's Satan. 
Sennacherib was just another earthly king, was he not? But he said, my way, look, I'm the guy going around conquering. Here's Hezekiah, little kingdom Judah. Who do you think you are? The great king, the king of Assyria, says this. You're a king who, by the way, what's he doing? If you're worshiping God, isn't it the Lord's high places he broke down? I mean, hasn't he restricted worship in your kingdom? You with me this morning? They would say, Pastor, your way of thinking is so restrictive of people who truly want to worship God. There are people that would really worship God and feel comfortable in your church if you loosen up a little bit. I just want to be about as tight as this Bible right here. Amen? That's tight enough. <laughs> and what I'm saying is, Satan comes along and says, no, no, God's way, it doesn't work. Arrogance. Arrogance. The way of the world and the way of Satan is pride. Old Sennacherib comes along and says through Rabshakeh, He's the great king. Your king is a nobody. Nobody. You know what I mean? Who's your king? So he, arrogance is the first tactic. Number two, he assaults. He begins to rail on Hezekiah. How many of you know what kind of character King Hezekiah had? One of the best kings Judah ever had. He was like his, his father David. He was a man. Look, so Satan's tactic through Sennacherib and Rabshakeh, the Bible says uh, in verse 19, uh, then Rabshakeh said unto them, Speaking now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Uh, thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? One of the texts tells us, uh, King uh, uh, Rabshakeh says, Look, I'll provide you, I'll provide you for the battle. 2,000 horses, if you got enough soldiers to put on them. Hmm? It's belittling. It's called reproach. Let me tell you something. Many people pull back from living lives of trust in the Lord, following His will and His way because of reproach. You cannot avoid the reproach that comes with faith in Christ alone. So Paul wrote in Galatians that he said, there are those trying to get out of the persecution of the cross, reproach. There are reproaches that come on us for the Lord's sake because we belong to the Lord. Hezekiah is accused in this chapter of being a liar. He's accused of being, it says in verse 30, Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver you. Then he says, verse 31, Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria. What he's saying is Hezekiah has lied to you. He has duped you. He's just trying to keep you in his little kingdom here. So don't listen to Hezekiah. No, listen to me. Satan uses arrogance and pride Puffing up the pride, saying, look at the, who are you? This little kingdom, the great king says this. He magnifies himself. He puffs himself up in order to belittle the people of God. He assaults them, assaults the character of their king, assaults the character of their God. He accuses and reproaches their means of worship, their way of worship. He says, well, let me go ahead and read it. He says, verse, um, uh, uh, verse 22, but if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord of God, our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath said to Jude in Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. I mean, if you want to worship God, your king is so restrictive and narrowing everything down to worshiping in one place. If you say the Lord, you've got less worship of God than you had before. You see what he's doing? You guys are a joke. Your king is a joke. Your Lord, supposedly, that you worship is a joke. You don't need to believe what Hezekiah is saying on behalf of the Lord. You listen to me. I'll tell you how to think. So he uses arrogance, which is 
that's the basis of, it's the fuel that fuels him. Assault of God's character and of the character of Hezekiah. I mean, I'm just going to say something. Young people, Satan is brilliant at assaulting the character of your parents. You don't want to listen to them. Assaulting the character, I'll just put it this way. Anybody in your life that is an authority that will help you trust the Lord. Satan is brilliant at assaulting their character. To say, you can't, don't listen to them. They're, they're, they got a double standard, the hypocrisy, and he you know, accused their form of worship, all this stuff. Then there was an appeal made. Look at verse 31, 32. So he is assaulted through arrogance. He's assaulted and accused of, of being deceitful, of Hezekiah causing them to trust in life. So put it this way. In the heart and mind of every Christian, whether young or old, there's got to be a day when the old devil's going to come along and say, all that you're being taught is a lie. You cannot trust what you've been taught. You've been taught that the Bible is true. You've been taught that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. You've been taught that once you're saved, you're going to start going down the line. So you've been taught all these things. And by the way, you need to know that it's true from the Word of God. But by the way, why was Hezekiah saying, trust in the Lord? Because the Lord is trustworthy. Why did Hezekiah say we're going to worship in one place, not all over the country? You might know. God said, when you get established in the land, you're going to worship in one place. He was honoring the word of God. And so then now he's going to make his pitch and make the appeal. Look, if you would, uh, we're talking about what Rabshakeh is saying. He uses arrogance, assault, accusation, but he also uses appeal. After he has berated the character of the king, berated the character of God, he says, verse 31, hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria. So don't listen to the king Hezekiah, listen to the king of Assyria. Listen to the king who worships any god he wants. Listen to the king who lives his life the way he wants. Listen to the king who does, is not restrict worship. Listen to the king of Assyria, not Hezekiah. Make an agreement with me by a present. Whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't Hezekiah try that? How did that work? How many of you know some people that have made agreements with the adversary by giving him what he wanted? And help me here. How has that worked out? You watch him long enough and you'll figure out. He does not keep his word. Well, let's move forward. Verse 31. He says, make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come out. What do they mean come out? Where were they? Don't lose me here. Where were they? They were behind a wall. And he says, come out from behind your wall. Leave your place of safety. Come out of your narrow-mindedness. Come out of your adherence to the Bible is always right. Come out of your firm conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. You're you're restricted. You're inside a wall, don't you know? He says, you come out of there. You hear me well. I touched on it Thursday night. There's a crowd of people today saying, you people need to come out of your your separation and your standards or whatever you want to call it. You need to come out of that and live a little. Huh? Come on out. The adversary says, come out and I'll make an agreement with you. Everyone, he says, uh, come out to me and that you eat every man of his own vine, meaning you'll not lose anything. In fact, you'll gain. Instead of having to eat somebody else's vine, you'll have your own vine. Every one of his own of his fig tree and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern. You're going to own your own well. Uh, you can drink from it. You're going to have your Meaning he's promised them a life that will flourish. Look at you right now. You're in behind a wall, uh, hiding from the enemy, not hiding, but staying in there. You come out to me and I'll give you a better life. You have your own vine, your own fig tree, your own cistern. I mean, you got that in there? Now, what he didn't know, Hezekiah, prior to this, had diverted the waterway that ran outside of the city 
ran it inside the city. They had all the water they wanted. Don't miss me this morning. He thinks he's making an appeal. You people in there getting thirsty, don't you, and drink from your own water? He didn't know they weren't thirsty. He had a waterways. Hezekiah was wise enough ahead of time to prepare and get the water that he needed inside the wall. And they didn't need that man's water. But I'm trying to tell you this morning, you young people listen closely. Please, please. Satan's going to come and say, there's a better life than a life of worshiping God. There's a better life than submitting to the will of God, trusting him, letting him lead, letting him rule. You're inside a wall in that life. But come out and I'll give you your own well, your own fig tree, your own vineyard. But come out of the place of safety. Come out of the protection of your parents' rules. Come out of the protection of listening to the word of God. Come out. Make a deal with me. He's appealing to them. Verse 32, until I come and take you away, what? To a land like your own land, meaning you don't have to, you don't have to lose anything. You come obey me and said Hezekiah. You come obey me and said, Lord, you won't lose anything. It'll be a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine. You won't be hauled, you know, all hemmed up in that city. A land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive and of honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Does it seem clear what his agenda is? Whatever it will take to get them not to trust Hezekiah, he'll do it. Satan will do anything he can. Don't trust the Bible. Don't trust the Bible. Whatever you do, it's going to tie you up inside of a wall of restrictions. Don't trust the Bible. You come out of that and leave that behind. And Whatever you do, don't trust the Bible. Don't trust the Lord. Huh? That's his ultimate agenda. And what he said, wouldn't you like to ask some of the Assyrian captives, um, is it a land of bliss once the Assyrians capture you? (laughs) No, no, that wasn't the experience they knew, but that was what they were promised. And so there was an argument made upon this. Verse 32, he says, I appeal to you. You come with me, believe me instead of Hezekiah, and you won't only, you'll not lose your gain. Don't follow the way of the world. Reject Bible principle. Reject the Lord Jesus Christ rule in your life. You'll be glad you did. You'll have the real life. Then he makes his argument, verses 33 through verse 37. He says, where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? He's naming all the places they've conquered. Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Uh, who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. You see the slip of the hand here? He goes from God's little g to Lord, saying there's no difference. Your Lord is no different than all the other gods. One of the things you hear from humanism today more than anything is you hear Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, all mentioned in the same line. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus created Buddha, and he created Muhammad, and he created... Joseph Smith, and he created every other person. He is not a God. He is Lord of Lords. He is Jehovah God. And we must remember that. And what sleight of hand Satan tricks today say, well, your, your, your faith is one of many faiths. What have their faiths done for them? Have, have, has Buddhism delivered the Buddhists from humanism or from the lies of Satan? Uh, how about all these other gods? Your Lord's not going to do any different. He makes his argument. If you're sitting there thinking, no, God will deliver us and we don't have to give in to you. We don't have to believe you. We don't have to obey you. Don't you believe that? Your Lord can't deliver you. Look at, look at my success. Hmm? Every time Satan knocks someone down, he makes sure everyone knows. 
He does not advertise every time he's defeated or he'd be really busy. Huh? Every time a child of God resorts to God in simple faith, God delivers. When you submit to God and resist the devil, Satan loses. Every time you say, not me, I submitted and I resisted and I lost. Not so, or the Bible's not true. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what happens here is there are tactics of arrogance, assault, accusation, an appeal. I'll give you a good life, a better life than you're going to have with Hezekiah, trapped inside that big old wall. And then he makes an argument, and if you don't, who do you think you are? Where are the gods of Samaria? And about all these other gods? He had a record of knocking a lot of kingdoms down. And finally, though, the triumph over the enemy. Go, if you would, now to Second Chronicles 32, and we'll wrap this thing up with the Lord's help. Second Chronicles 32. In verse 1, after these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and camped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, why should the kings, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Why should we help them win the battle? Also, he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised, up the, to the, and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Millo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably. To them saying be strong and courageous be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitudes that is with him for there be more with us than with him was this man crazy with him is an arm of flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles and the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah king of Judah I see first of all to triumph over the enemy some preparation had to be made when Hezekiah first lost those cities, as I said, we know that from 2 Kings he made an error. He appeased the king. He gave him some gold and some silver and said, make a deal with me, and it didn't work. But when he saw, the Bible says that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, meaning once Hezekiah tried the silver and gold and saw, that ain't working. He's going to come fight. He said, then we've got to prepare ourselves. May I say this, you'll not win a battle if you don't prepare for it. The Bible says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof in Romans 13, 14. Make not provision for the flesh. What does he say? With them is an arm of flesh, but with us for the Lord. You know what Hezekiah says? I'm not going to give the enemy water to drink from. I say it this way. Why do we give the devil a stick to beat us with? Why do we say, I can't overcome temptation, but constantly introduce things into our lives that lure us? When I have the power to cut that water flow off, there are water flows coming into the homes of many a person today that's doing nothing but feeding the flesh. Cut it off. Why should I put things in front of me that stir the lust of the eyes and the lust of the, uh, the flesh and the pride of life? I don't have to. That's out there, but I don't have to feed the enemy. Amen? Why should I pump things in my ears and into my mind that I know are going to feed the flesh? Hezekiah made some preparations saying, my enemy is purposed to take me. I'm not going to help him do it. How many times have we said we've been like King Ahab, welcoming him, in, him into our home, saying, well, whatever you want, you can have. Wives, kids, you, uh, you know, anything you, you, you see, you take a fancy for, just go away from me. 
No, 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 no. We should cut off the flow of water that feeds our enemy. The flesh, don't make, again, Romans 13, 14, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you're covetous, I promise you watching television is not going to help you. One advertisement after the other, whatever it is, it's not just TV today, it's everything. And I can't help what the world has got out there, but I can help what I put here and what I put here and what I put on the wall and what I put in a book in front of me. We're not to feed the flesh. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. God says it is our responsibility to not grant him an opportunity. You know what? Hezekiah could not help the fact that Sennacherib decided to attack him. But he said, but I don't have to water his army. Amen? And he took what was going to water the army and he said, no, we're going to use that for ourselves. And he channeled it inside the wall. He said, we're going to water our people, not the enemy. And so then he made preparation. Not only did he do that, he armed himself. The Bible says he prepared, set captains of war over the people. The Bible says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. If you're going to win a battle, you've got to get the armor on. We heard about that in Sunday school. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must put on the helmet of salvation and breastplate of righteousness and our loins girt about with truth and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He prepared for warfare. He said, I'm going to prepare. How many of us know that Hezekiah knew the odds? There were literally more with Sennacherib than with him if you looked at it from human perspective. Listen to this morning. The lost world has a lot more resources than we do. We don't compete with the world. That's not what we're doing. We'll lose. That's what happens. We say, I, I'm telling you. I, when we first came here, somebody asked me, what kind of music do you have in your church? So we just sing the old hymns. Oh, you'll never get the young people that way. You've got to give them something they like. You know what they're saying? You've got to compete with the world. I can't compete with the world. Are you kidding me? They've got a lot more resources than I do. And if I'm going to be an Assyrian, I'll go be an Assyrian. But I'm not. We're the people of God. And the point this morning is this. They have more earthly resources than we do. But with us is the Lord. We have the Lord in us, with us, should be on us. Huh? We have the Lord. And so Hezekiah says, we're going to make preparation. Then he says, we're going to make preparation because of our persuasion. Verse 7 and 8, he says, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid, nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. I challenge you, find any place in Scripture where we are admonished not to be afraid. Find one that within verses, either in that direct context or within 20 verses around, does not say the reason you don't need to be afraid is because of the presence of God. I can't think of any. The Bible says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 7. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Every command not to fear is coupled with the consolation. I'm telling you not to be afraid, not because there's not danger, but because of the presence of God. The presence of God is greater than the evil of men. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Hezekiah says, look, we got them outnumbered, guys. <laughs> and here's my explanation. It wasn't insanity, it was faith. 
He said, they have flesh. We've got the God who created the universe. And so the Bible says the people rested on his words. And then Rabshakeh takes the rest of his vocal time to say, don't do that. You've rested on Hezekiah. Don't believe what he's telling you. Don't believe it. I can tell you the spiritual battles of my life are don't believe what you've heard preached, taught, and read in that Bible. You can't trust that. You can't trust that. Yes, I can because of who wrote it. God is not a liar and he never will be, never has been, and we can trust his word. And so Hezekiah prepared through persuasion that God can be trusted. Then we find the triumph of the enemy was through preparation, persuasion, and prayer. Prayer. In in 2 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4, you can find his prayer. What happened? I'll just, I'll, I'll spell it out for you. You may have take time to look at it yourself uh, when you have time. But in each account, the prayers of Hezekiah record, he initially sends uh, the, 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 the scribe and the priest to go to Isaiah the prophet and say, here's what we're being told. And they are in sackcloth and ashes, meaning they're humbling their soul, afflicting their soul that they might seek the Lord. Amen? Because they believed God could be trusted, they said, we're going to prepare ourselves to hear from him. It's not about getting God's attention. It's about getting our attention on Him. About God getting our attention. They're in sackcloth and ashes and they send Isaiah. And Isaiah assures them, no, God's going to, He's going to give you the victory. He's going to hear a rumor. Uh, Sennacherib's going to hear a rumor. He's going to return to Assyria and you're going to win. But in the meanwhile, and it's, it's exactly what happened. We don't have time to read it all. The king hears a rumor. He hears that he's being attacked by another country. He returns to Assyria. But he keeps writing Hezekiah letters saying, I'll be back. You're not done. I'm still going to defeat you. And the Bible says, this time Hezekiah doesn't send Isaiah. He takes the letters, lays them out before God, and he says, God, you see what this man is saying? And you can read it for yourself. He has reproached your name. And I'm asking you and how you deal with him to defend your own name. He has said that he is more powerful than you. Christian this morning, can we not get a burden in our heart, not through, well, I'm not talking about political wins. I'm talking about personal, spiritual triumph in our lives to say Satan is trying to make God look like a fool Lord show yourself mighty through our lives show that your word is still true through us Satan is belittling you and he is reproaching you and he's pointing at that victory and that victory may you use us to expose his lies that would be the light we're supposed to be Hezekiah prayed that way you can read his prayers in 2 Kings 19 1 through 4 in verses 14 through 19. Let me just read those first few verses in 2 Kings 19. We're almost done. You've been good listeners this morning. 2 Kings 19, verse 1. It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests clothed with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria his master hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Would, Would we agree that there's a remnant of people today that are still just wanting to serve the Lord? May not God help us be a remnant that have victory to defend his own name? How many of you understand there's a defeated attitude that has crept in among God's people? I'm not, look, our nation does not have to have national revival for us to have personal victory. 
the nation, the nation will get to decide if it wants to have revival. And I say she already decided she didn't want it. You say God can't send him? Well, of course he can. If we'll meet his terms, we have to humble ourselves. But in the midst, how many of us know Judah was much diminished from the kingdom it was in David's day? Many had already been taken into captivity. But Hezekiah says, I can't change that, but the remnant that are here, Lord, would you work on our behalf? Would you show yourself strong on our behalf? And you know what? It was as though God said, well, of course I will. Well, of course I will. And immediately he went to work on their behalf. And that brings us to their preservation. We'll close in Isaiah chapter 36. Same account. Same account. I'm going to read it from this, this text. Isaiah chapter 36. And here in the... Excuse me, Isaiah 37. Pardon me. Isaiah chapter 37, uh, verse 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria... Departed. Now, I thought he was going to defeat them. The Bible says he departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adramelech and Sharezer his son smote him with a sword, and they escaped in the land of Armenia. And Esarhaddon his son reigned in his stead. The Bible tells us prior to that, that one morning they woke up there, and there was all those Assyrian troops around Jerusalem, and 185,000 of them were dead. How'd that happen? Do you realize that Israel, Judah, never raised a sword? They got on their knees and prayed, and God killed 185,000 soldiers. And then we find that when Sennacherib returns, because he heard a rumor of war, he returned, and he's worshiping his God. You think that's on accident? That while he's worshiping his God, God sent his own flesh and blood, and they killed him. His own kids killed him. You know what happened? He was proven to be a liar. He wasn't the great king, was he? This morning, our triumph is no different. We must make preparation, cut off the waters, don't give water to drink to the enemy. We must arm ourselves spiritually. We must be persuaded that God is with us, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, and rest on his presence to deliver us. And then we must pray. That's why after putting on the whole armor of God, what's the next instruction? Praying always with all prayer and supplication. What should we pray? Lord, give us the victory over our tempter. Give us the victory. How many think God says, no, I want you to yield the temptation? Now, often we've just not prepared because we're not persuaded. Therefore, we don't pray and we get defeated. You know, if we'll act on this, on Hezekiah's example, I believe God will do for us what he did for him. He'll deal with the enemy.